Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, who would just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Tara Martin. She's doing it people she's all in the game so famous so putting in the work uh so well known and i wanted to have her on because she is out there speaking and delivering workshops and actually getting out there and doing the work uh it's interesting because you know i, I went to her website this morning and I've seen, you know, I saw pictures of her at ISTE and I'm like, I was at that ISTE as well. And I was at that ISTE as well. And we did not see each other. Uh, so uh, we'll have to meet up the next uh, ISTE that I that I go to that we both attend. Uh, so for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Tara? Yes, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Will. I'm very excited to be on your show today. Um, I am Tara Martin, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm sad that we didn't meet at SD, but I attend to all of them. So uh, ever since I've been a connected educator, which has been only four years, so keep that in mind. But uh, definitely an SD fan, and I love getting to meet my PL. I call them a PL family instead of professional learning network. I feel like you guys are more like a family to me. And so I'm super grateful to be connected to so many amazing people out there doing the work for sure. And um, what I do, uh, first of all, my favorite role in this thing called life is being a mom. I am a mom of one boy. He is 19. He is about to graduate college. Actually, I'm super excited. I know at a, such a young age, but he only did the two-year program and we are so proud of him. And then also I've been an educator in many different, many different roles. I started as a classroom teacher, moved into instructional coaching, and then I later moved into district administration. I found so much joy in all of those different roles and serving those that I had the honor and privilege to get to serve. I now work as a Dave Burgess Consulting Director of PR and Communication. So that is my 40 hour job, but I also travel and when it's not COVID <laughs> and speak and um, encourage educators and anyone who will listen to me honestly, to just keep the real human behind whatever content that we're delivering. And so that is a big message for me. It's really important to me. I feel like no matter, it transcends all different professions. If we could just keep that realness, and we'll talk a little bit about that, I'm sure later, but I also get to travel and speak to students. So I do assemblies and work with students to encourage them that no obstacle is really too great for them to one day overcome if they set their mind to it. And so growing up in just an interesting home life with um, a lot of adversity and abuse, I've had the opportunity to see what it's like to overcome those obstacles and kind of make something different of myself. So I, I love like using my journey, but I also love learning everyone else's journey because it's also different, but yet there's so many things that we have the same. So. Those are just a few things I get to do. And I'm super proud of my work. I love 
what I do. I love learning about those that I get to serve and how can I best create materials that actually helps them to move forward on their journey, whatever that is. Mm. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. So what did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up and how did you find yourself in K through 12 education? Yeah, that's very interesting. So when I started out, um, honestly, as a little girl, I, I just wanted to graduate high school. That would be the first generation um, in my family to graduate high school. So that was just a really big milestone for me when I was a little kid. And um, once I got to that point, I was like, okay, there's a wide open space out here. You know, what am I, I don't think I want to continue to work at McDonald's, which is what I was doing um, in high school. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. So if, that, if you are a McDonald's worker, I feel you, I did that, but I really just wanted to try something different. And one of the things that I aspired to do, Dr. Will, was to be a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. I loved studying the brain and I thought it was just a really cool field. And so I joined college on scholarships to study the brain. And um, I ended up thinking I would go into nursing, <laughs> which turned out to be very interesting because I, by the time I got into the fourth semester of this uh, track to the nursing program, I realized right away that we had these uh, little internships at a nursing home facility and I couldn't handle blood, vomit or stinky smells. So while I was really great at the bookwork and actually the highest grade point average in my class, I couldn't handle the work. And so we, my professor and I just chatted and she said, have you ever considered anything else? And I thought, well, I taught Sunday school at my church and I had just started doing that. And I said, well, you know, I really like teaching. I, I don't know. I mean, this is a big turn, but I mean, I could be studying the brain. So it turns out when I moved into teaching, I loved it. It was definitely the field for me. It was my calling. I couldn't wait to get to school every day to greet my kids. And what were we going to learn? Because they were going to teach me and I was going to teach them. And so I did not have the dream of being a teacher as a little kid. But once I found teaching as my passion, it was just, it's, it was just magical how it worked and how I still love it. When I get in front of kids, it is like where I belong. I feel the safest, I feel comfortable. And I love just hearing their stories of how they feel inspired, uplifted and challenged to reach, reach their dreams too. Mm. So we're seeing, you know, on the gram, on the Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, more and more educators talking about either consulting, they're writing books or offering courses, or you're seeing their face on a graphic from some conference saying, hey, such and such is a speaker. Um, maybe 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been the case of people being so vocal about it. And even when I first started my podcast, there was a lot of pushback I received from me doing this when you decided that you were actually going to become that entrepreneur you're going to write books you're going to speak you were going to uh deliver workshops but charge for it right it wasn't you know pick me choose me thank you uh but it was actually you're going to be doing this for money what actually went through your mind when you 
were going to, when you were in the process of making that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, for a long time, I spoke for no money. So at first, I definitely just traveled and anybody who wanted to listen to me, I, <laughs> I shared my message out that way and I really enjoyed it. I, if I had a ton of money and I could travel anywhere and do it for free forever, I, I literally love teaching and I love encouraging others to do the best work, right? I, I, I'm a coach by nature. So this is just, that's what I love. And truly, if it didn't cost, <laughs> if it wasn't expensive to do the work, I wouldn't, I loved it. And so I did that for a long time. Um, for a long time, I mean, when I first got started. And um, I think a lot of us do that. We just travel around, we're sharing our message. But the more people started wanting to hear the message and have it represented at their district, the more costly the trips became, right? And so, at, of course, you have to start at least covering your expenses to get there. And then if you are for like it was for me, I was working at the district level um, as an ad admin during this time. So then I was having to take off time with no pay. So I needed to compensate for that. And so that's kind of how it started as far as figuring out the wages. And it, I didn't really feel bad about it because um, I had been traveling and doing it for no charge, just seeing like, is this message something of interest? Is this really going to encourage teachers? Because the truth is a lot of people, you know, have a story, have a message, but the delivery necessarily of it, is it actually reaching the people in the way that that, that person wants it to? And so I feel like getting out there and trying out your materials and making sure that it resonates with the people that you serve it's really important because you don't want to charge people for something that um, isn't of interest to them. Is it going to move their district forward, right? And so, and also if you if you get to the, I spoke before I wrote a book and I highly recommend doing that. I, I It's another way of trying out your materials. Um, what is resonating with people? What are people really needing right now? Or what is, what are they going to need that's evergreen, that's actually going to be needed 10 years from now, 20 years from now? This is still going to be legit material. And so that's kind of what I cling on to. And I feel like the Be Real message is something that we need to do for the rest of our life. For as long as people have heartbeats, they need to be real. And real is an acronym. We'll just go ahead and lay that out there for anybody listening that doesn't know. It's being relatable, exposing vulnerability, approachable and learning through life. And I feel like when you wrap all that up and you respect individualities for their realness, but you're also very real with them, no matter your role, no matter if you're in leadership, no matter if you're working side by side with them, it doesn't matter. Or you're working under people, under leadership. Realness needs to be ever present and no matter what our learning setting is. And so something like of that nature I feel like is just a message that works forever. And so those are things that you can do when you're traveling and speaking for free or for cost. You're starting to figure out what of these materials actually works. And then when you go to writing a book, you can, you can transfer that material 
that you that you've tried out and it works and people love it and it inspires them to do better be better it's not about selling the book per se right it's about selling your message because if you're in it for the right reason then you're selling your message it's you're not out there to be famous you're not out there to make a crap ton of money you are out there to change the world it's the same thing you got into teaching for. You're just doing it and amplifying your message with a larger audience. Mm. I, what I find interesting is that you actually traveled on your own dime for free because I did start out presenting at conferences for free, but these were not conferences where I needed to get on a plane. These were conferences in my local area where I could just drive to. Uh, so I, I'm just, I find it like mind boggling that you will go, oh yeah, I'm going to fly to Philadelphia and I'm going to do this. I'm like, no, I, I can't do it. Um, because for me, I became an, an entrepreneur by accident. You know, I literally had been speaking at this gifted conference for several years and someone who was a gifted coordinator at a neighboring district in the state approached me in the hallway in between sessions and say hey do you do consulting work and i was like yeah because i have never done it and then after our conversation i immediately called eric right eric Schinniger. so i said hey dude this happened. Okay, what should I do? So he gave me some advice, hit me to the game on some things that I need to kind of look out for and set up. And then nothing happened from that. But the next conference I went to, I was approached by someone at central office who said, hey, is this something that you do? And I was like, yes. And they came to my session and afterwards said, we'll be in touch. And that was my first, you know, steps into my paid gig. And when I was done and that first check came in the mail and I'm looking at it and I'm like, what the Jimmy Dean sausage? This is amazing. Like, this is a really big check. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, I make more money now, but the, the, the check for me, the, just the fact that I was like, I, I delivered a day of work, doing the work that I already do at my job, right? And here this check is. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I like this life. This is all right. This is all right. But still, not, you know, I didn't put any systems in place. I didn't do marketing. I didn't, you know, get a website. I didn't do certain things to actually set up a business. I just kind of like, okay, this is cool. This is nice, you know. But over the years, you know, you know, as you mentioned, then you have to start to do this right. You do have to put systems in place and you have to get serious about how everything uh, starts to work out. You, earlier you mentioned your book, which is a pathway for someone becoming uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, tell us about Real. Yeah, I love it. Um, you know, Real is, 
stemmed from when I was coming. So I, I let me back up just a little bit. And I'll tell you about real course. But um, when based off of what you just talked about, my path was a little bit different. I got connected on Twitter by accident, honestly. I had a Twitter account, but I didn't know what to do with it. And then once I, once I went to one session of George Kuros, he kind of encouraged all of us to join it. I had to hack back into it and figure out like, what am I supposed to do with it? And that's when I really started to connect with educators. So my path was a little bit different. And that's when Book Snaps was born. Um, I did the first book snap and I just put it out to Twitter. I had like two followers. I didn't even know what I was doing. He just had told us to share our work, like whatever we're doing in the district and our classrooms, just share it out on there. So that's what I did. And turned out I ended up getting a lot of following, meeting Dave Burgess and the two of them just encouraging me to start a website. So I kind of had a different journey. Um, I journaled daily. So I just started, some of my journals became blogs. And that's where I came up with the name of my blog, which is Be Real. And I thought, this is kind of a cool, catchy title. And right here on this blog, I want this to be real stuff happening in the field, happening in my head, happening when I'm interacting with people. It didn't matter what role of life as a mom, as a wife, as a, as a, a teacher, as a coach, as a later as administrator. I just wanted to be able to share realness on my website. Well, that's when I started to, like I talked about earlier, finding things that was resonating with other people. I couldn't believe, you know, when you put it out there to an authentic audience, how many people are like, ooh, you know, this makes sense to me. This is kind of the same world I'm living in. Or, you know what, when I did this, I did that and I would learn from them. So it was like reciprocated, right? And so once I got to writing the book, I, I kind of was able to use some of the blog information uh, content in the book. But also I wanted to share why, what, why is this idea being real so important to me? And it really goes back to my second grade teacher all the way back, like way back. <laughs> and I started thinking about what was it that she did and provided for me that some 30 something years later, I'm 42 years old now, seven then, um, that I'm still thinking about it because whatever that is, that's what we all need to do. Like we need to be able to inspire people in such a way that 30 something years later, they're still saying that one, that's the one that believed in me. And that's what it was for Mrs. S. She just took a chance on me. She taught me to read that year. I was learning my letters and sounds. I was on a kindergarten level. She tutored me every day when I got off the bus. She didn't care that I was a stinky kid and that I was bullied by other kids. She became like a best friend almost to me. And she mentored me. And she taught me how to um, relate to my peers and to be a better classmate, but also she taught me academically. I grew three full years that year. But one of the things Mrs. S did for me that was so different than anybody I can remember and then all the great mentors in my life share this quality is she was very relatable. Like she made me feel like I was like everybody else. She made me feel that connection. And so she was super relatable. She also exposed a little bit of her vulnerability. She would tell me things, you know, I know when you do this, kind of reminds me of when I do this as an adult. And it's just nice to know that your teacher who you think has it all put together is really just a real human underneath that skin. And um, she was very approachable. I never was scared to go to her, no matter how 
lame, whatever I had to share was, she was right there for me. And then the L was learning through life. She never let me settle. She knew the history of my family and the addictions and the abuse. She knew all the things that was happening the in and out of the homes and those kinds of things. But she didn't let me settle. She would tell me things that I didn't even understand as a second grader, like, you are not determined, like your future is not determined by your current circumstances. And I didn't know what all those words meant. All I knew is this woman believes in me and I don't want to let her down. But more than that, I started to believe what she was telling me. She would say, I believe in you, Tara. You can do something. You can be something great. You're going to learn to read. And honestly, I never struggled in school after the second grade because of her. But it was, she helped me rewire my brain. And that is what Be Real is all about. It's about seeing potential in everyone that we serve and seeing that real human behind the content. We can get so wrapped up in our content and meeting standards. And we're like, oh, we gotta get this, this. It's a checklist, right? But we can't ever forget that those relationships last forever. And they also, little kids and big kids and adults are hanging on our every word. So the words we put into their minds needs to be stuff that they are chewing on for years and it's helping them to grow and to move forward no matter what their journey in life takes them. And so Be Real is about part memoir, but part strategies. How do we implement that no matter our field, no matter our role, and so I talk about how I did that in my different roles and how it just made an impact, not only on the people I serve, but it came back like a boomerang and helped influence me to be better too. So that's what Be Real really is all about. Mm. So you're doing this and as you know, there are different levels and different people at different journeys and different entry points and different, you know, realities of the check they receive. Uh, what is the, the market like for an educa educational consultant? And sort of what has been your greatest challenge thus far? Yeah, so I would say the market right now during COVID is kind of weird and wonky. Um, certainly with us presenting Zoom and uh, virtually, We've had to adjust our fees and things like that. You're not traveling, um, for me anyways, my fees always included travel and lodging. And so naturally I'm not going to charge for that if I'm speaking for my kitchen table, right? Um, so I think just being honest with yourself and the people that you serve, making sure that you are compare, comparing um, of sorts to what's out there. You got to be, it's just like any other business. You don't want, um, you want your product to be uh, marketable. You want it to be in the running. And if it's too high or too low on either end, that looks suspicious, right? So just looking out there, asking around, asking other speakers, other consultants, you know, what is the going rate right now? What are you delivering for that rate? Because that matters too. If you're sitting in front of a Zoom for six hours, that looks a lot different than a one hour or two hour or a half day. Um, so keeping all of those things in mind. And the second question you asked, darn, I forgot it. Your, um, your challenge. The challenges. 
So the challenges for me have been um, <laughs> one random challenge is time zones because now with all of the um, virtual speaking, I've had so many opportunities to speak internationally. And so time zones have been really tricky when you're speaking to those in the Middle East or um, recently in Japan, we are just like, there are times where I'm waking up at 3 a.m. to deliver a keynote or 1 a.m. It's starting and I'm doing a half day. And so it's, uh, that's been an interesting different challenge that I didn't have when I was traveling, of course. Um, another challenge to me would be, um, you know, getting, put on what we do with the two consulting uh, uh, bureaus that I work for. And sometimes you get put on hold. So they will say, yes, I want this speaker. Uh, but I also am looking at two other speakers. So you get that first hold and um, it blocks your calendar for a certain amount of time until they decide which one they're going to take. So there's usually a second hold and then the third one is who they've chosen. Um, I think one challenge is just having blocks with, uh, on your calendar and then they you end up not getting the gig. So it's a little disappointing, but I would say to anyone starting out, just know there's gonna be a lot of no's and it's just part of it. Um, there are times where other people will beat you out of a gig and you might feel like you want to take it personal, but I would say, don't take it personal. It reminds me a lot of being an administrator and hiring teachers, hiring coaches, whatever it was that we were hiring. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, all the candidates were wonderful. It was just one was a better fit than the other for the time. And so I think as speakers, as um, those of you trying this out for the first time, or you're just getting into the circuit, keep that in mind. It's not necessarily that your message isn't the one that needs to be heard. It just not might not be the time for the hour of what that district is looking for. So don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't just get discouraged. Just keep putting yourself out there. It reminds me too, a lot of acting um, and actresses. I've heard a lot of interviews. I love watching them anyway. I love watching their journey to becoming like what they do. And they will always say singers, performers, any kind of performer, really. They'll say, you get a lot of no's, but it doesn't, they're not the end of the road. They're just not now. You know, it's just not yet. And so keep putting yourself out there. If you believe in your message and you think the world needs to hear it and you're in it for the right reason, like then you will move forward and the right people at the right time will hire you and you will get to inspire those that are under the sound of your voice. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And I think you also need to look at the niche right that you're in and to make sure that you have one where you have receipts you know where you can back up where well, i've done this work here right and also make sure that when people go to your website you don't have you know a, a half a page of stuff you do uh to be focused on you know this i mean i have a, there are three things that in the work that I'm doing that I really focus on. And I don't worry about other stuff because for me, again, it's about the receipts. I wanna be able to you know, say, look, this is the work I do every day. This is the successes I have seen here in my own district based upon the work that I've done, as well as being able to have someone go to 
this organization that I've done a session to the workshops for and them say, hey, he was awesome at doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, so mm -hmm. I want to have those receipts where it, it, it's not just you have a, a Twitter name, but you have real game behind you that you have actually, you know, done the work. And, you know, it has taken me some, you know, some small steps spiritually to, to grow because, you know, like I'm in the process now of really starting to build greater systems in what I do and be, you know, very focused, highly targeted. And I am seeing people on Twitter talking about online learning, talking about things in this digital space that 12 months ago, 13 months ago, 24 months ago, they never said anything about it. Mm -hmm. And now that's all you seeing come from them. And I'm like, where did this, where did this come from? Not, huh? Because for me, you don't have the receipts, mm -hmm. right? Because you weren't talking about this before the pandemic hit. Like, yeah, it's true. I think, you know, what I hear you saying is you have to be invested in what you represent, right? Your brand. So whatever your brand is, and I, I think too, Dr. Will, it could be that the brand was too narrow before. Maybe they're really passionate about what they've learned during the pandemic. Then they might need to widen the focus of their brand, right? I think sometimes people lock themselves too tight in, right? Um, that's fine as long as everyone is looking for that one little thing. But if you could zoom out and look at it from an eagle's point of view, you know, what all does your brand encompass? Like be real, so huge. It's almost, it's almost too huge. But, um, but a lot of things can fit underneath it. Another thing I'm passionate about is health and wellness. I love talking about it. I love encouraging people to, to get on a fitness journey or to consider their nutrition because we only get one body and it shows up for us every day. So what are we doing for it? And so does that fit under my B-Real brand? Absolutely. And so I think sometimes, um, you know, when your focus is too narrow, then you get excited about something else. For example, the examples you were giving, and it looks as if you are now talking about this just because it's needed topic right now. It's the hot topic. So you're like trying to ride that train a little bit. But if you're truly passionate about it, how does it fit underneath your brand? And does your brand need to be a little bit wider so everything can fit under there? Does that umbrella need to spread out a little bit? And then what does that look like, sound like, feel like? You know, what is it that you represent? You should be able to say it in a phrase. And then everything that you do, if you're out there consulting and it's a part of your work, it's products that you're selling to people, needs to be able to fit under that because that's when you get that street cred, like you said. You get those receipts, like you can speak to it. It matches what you represent. So yeah, I, I can see that too. I, I definitely don't just follow the hot topics out there because there's plenty of people that do that and it's not necessarily authentic and it's certainly not real. And eventually that will very much shine through. 
Okay, yeah, I'm. I was kind of like, okay, okay, I'm gonna let that. I'm gonna let that go. I almost. I, I literally. There's one person in particular. I almost. I almost challenged them publicly in a tweet because I had got. I had gotten fed up <laughs> seeing their stuff. When again, pre-pandemic, if you were to go back to their blog, you wouldn't see this pop up at all. And I'm thinking, okay. All right, so we, we're going to move on because I don't want I don't want I don't want my shade to get on here. Um, tell us about tell us about your work and the, and the workshops that you actually do for school districts. Totally. Um, so one of the things I deliver is, of course, keynote speeches um, to where I encourage people, as we talked about earlier with the book "Be Real," to incorporate that into everything they do. And I will do that just like I do, similar to what I do in the book, of course, not that long, but with an inspirational story, a personal story, and then strategies for how to do that. And then wrapping it up with a charge, like, okay, let's go change the world together. Let's do this thing, who's in it? Um, that's kind of my method for keynotes. I also have a children's book, Cannonball In. I love that book and I love sharing that message with educators and any profession and students as well, because it, it challenges us to take risk. And that book is written for kids or for humans. I call it, I say it's written for ages eight to 80. It's written for anyone who has a heartbeat and wants to try something new. And so it's all about taking risk and how you deal with the inner fear, the outer critics, the critics on the outside, which are the dabblers in my book, and then how you push forward and do that thing that you were born to do. One of my favorite lines is based on a true story with the dad who raised me. And he told me, um, you know, in the end of, toward the end of the book, he said, Tara, you were not born to sit on the sidelines and watch the jumpers. You were born to jump. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are born to jump. They are born to make their splash but they're too busy staying in the place where they're safe, the shallow zone for the little girl in my book, which represented me. Um, and they're watching all these people doing these great things and they wish they could join them, but they're too afraid of not being able to touch the bottom of the pool, right? They're too afraid of, will I be able to swim over there? And the truth is you will. You, we learn a lot of things in the process and we have a lot of great foundational skills that we don't trust enough to take a risk. So Cannonball In is something I'm passionate about talking to groups about because I think it's a message, again, it's evergreen, it's, it transcends all time. As long as we have humans on this earth, we're gonna have people that are wanting to try something new, get out of their comfort zone, and that book walks you through all the challenges for doing that and how to just make it happen in a very short amount of words and beautiful illustrations. So thanks to Genesis Kohler for doing my illustrations on that book. Another thing I love to talk to districts about is coaching. It's something I'm passionate about, having quality conversations with whomever that we serve, being a great listener. Um, there are so many great little steps that I walk the coaching seminar through and help them that you can have this every single time you have a conversation. And when you leave that conversation, they leave feeling empowered, encouraged, 
ready for the next step and know that you're going to come and, and follow up with them. And so coaching is another thing I love sharing. Um, another thing that I spend a lot of time on workshops, I call it the Real Talk Remix. It's all about trying these different interactive activities within the classroom or within your professional development. I speak to leaders a lot too. And so working on how do we get the people that we serve interacting with the content in a very real way that's not putting them in a tight little box, making them fill out worksheets, those kinds of things. So adding that realness back into the content, giving them very specific strategies. We actually go through the strategies together. They act them, they do them. And it's not strategies that make adults feel like kids but they feel like, oh, I can do this as a grown-up, and I can also do this with my students. It works for all humans. So one of the things that I'm passionate about with each of my workshops is making sure that whatever it is I am having the adults in my workshops do, that it's transferable into the classroom, no matter the age group. And it's also very easy to use when you're develop when you're using it for professional development for our administrators and our principals that are running staff meetings or professional developments. That is something I'm super passionate about. So keeping that be realness and that uh, cannibal in mindsets mm -hmm. as a part of all those different workshops. If you ever want to check them out and go to TaraMMartin.com, look at the keynote speaking strategy uh, workshops, they're all there. But uh, book snaps, I should definitely mention book snaps. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's how I got really connected on Twitter, but it's a digital visual representation of learning. I feel like that is something that so many people have grabbed, grabbed onto. It was born pre-pandemic. It's definitely been ever present during the pandemic, but what it is is where kids can take a picture of what they're doing. They can demonstrate their thinking using emojis or bitmojis or images from the web to represent the visualization that's happening no matter what content they're learning. And they use the annotation feature, I mean, the text feature for annotation because kids love digital stuff. They love text and they love emojis, bitmojis and images. So it's using the language they love to represent what they're thinking while they're learning the content. And that's where you have that realness and that high quality content getting married together. They're not separate. It's not SEL and learning high stakes standards. All of it's happening at the same time. So book snaps is another book, uh, workshop that I do a lot of, and it works for not just reading. It works for any subject matter. Mm. So I'm loving what I'm hearing here because you have actually put together a program you know, with your own intellectual property. And what I see the value in that is this is something that you own, something that if you chose to do so, you could hire people, give them the this information, give them this curriculum and allow them to go out and replicate sort of the, the process. And, and the reason I think that's important in, 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 that in, in creating systems is that when you get into this game, you can't just sort of fly by the seat of your pants in what you're doing. Like you do, you have to create systems. You have to create programs. You have to create uh, uh, things that go beyond a one day 
sort of event. I mean, even, and I haven't, I, I don't do keynote speeches like you do, uh, but even in that and, and being able to see, you know, Tom speak uh, in person, uh, being able to see Eric uh, speaking others, I can tell that they put together like a core of something and that depending on the audience, different things are added or removed so that it becomes a something special for that audience. But in order for you to do that, you have to have a system of how you do all of these things. If you will speak to, I guess, the importance of doing so. So that the listeners, when 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 they listen to this podcast, that they understand that if you're going to be serious about this, you can't just sort of wake up and say, "Hey, I'm here," but that you actually have to put things in place and build things in order for you to then be successful. Oh, it's very true. I I feel like um, when I first started speaking, I thought, "Well, I'm a great teacher." And uh, I delivered professional development as an administrator. I should be fine. You know, I could do this. But the truth is you do. You have to be pretty strategic with the development of your speech. It's very much like writing a book. Um, If you've ever written a book, it's a lot the same. And if you've not written a book, well, you understand the concept. You need a big idea. You need to run everything that you're going to be talking about through that big idea. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't go. It doesn't get to be a part of your speech. We have a set amount of time. We don't want to waste people's time. We don't want to uh, go off on a bunch of different drives around town, if you will. I mean, this is the time where you have to hone your message and you need to get it delivered in the time frame that they've asked you to deliver it. So it's it's, it's a lesson plan, if you will. Um, and you know what you're going to be talking about and how you're hoping to inspire those that are listening to you. And you do, you need to be very strategic. It's, um, it's a process. It's not easy to learn it overnight. It takes a lot of practice. I would say once you develop your message and you have a very clear picture of what you're hoping to deliver, trying that out on a live audience would be ideal and getting very specific feedback from them. I have a partner that I work with. Um, We we still, even though we've both been keynoting for a long time, or not me as long as him, he's been doing way longer than me, but we'll go back and forth. Like I'll send him a little video clip of a new piece that I've added. I'll get very specific feedback from him, Uh, change the things that I'm wanting to change. I'll let him know this is the message I'm hoping to deliver to the people that I'm serving. Um, what do you think? Like, am I, am I reaching that? And if not, what are some things I could do different down to, it could get as nitpicky as body language, as moments of interaction with the audience. I mean, there are so many pieces that go into those, if you will, monologues, because really when you're up there for 45 minutes, you're basically, uh, performing a monologue, but you're doing it in a way that you're hoping to to encourage people to believe your message, to thirst for more, right? You're salting the hay, if you will. So those, like, you know, they say, you can lead a horse to water, we can't make them drink. But I've heard a speaker one time say, Mr. Manny, um, Dr. Manny, say that, but you can salt the hay. 
And so I feel like when you are sharing that message, you're salting the hay. And if you're not, then those parts and pieces need to be dismissed. Like I want to salt the hay so people want more. They want to thirst for more of this message to where they can actually take it and implement it into their work. And um, when you do that in a speech, that's when you start to figure out those plugs. You know, like this is going to be solid. It's my intro. I feel good about it. These pieces I can plug and play depending on my audience, but they still run through that filter. Are they delivering that key message, that big idea that I want to share with the world? And then typically your conclusion, you have it down solid, right? You're bringing it all home. But those plug and play pieces for me, and this is just the way I design my message, are in the middle. Um, there are times where I'll do a different story based off of like my flight there or an interaction I had with people. There's ways you can work that in, but at first get really solid with your speech and be able to um, be so strong with it that you've gotten feedback in other places before you've ever tried to deliver it in front of people. Ideally, that would be awesome. I did not start that way. I'd tell you I made a lot of mistakes, but I, I recommend that. And then you can really just pay attention to the body language of your audience and determine, you know what? I'm gonna plug and play here. Like I'm not gonna be bound by my slides, but I'm going to plug and play this line or this message or this little short story because I'm feeling that vein with the people that I'm serving at that moment. Um, and in order to get to that place, it's really experience, experience, Experience. Get out there, speak to people. Like I said, I spoke a lot for free. Why? Because I wanted to practice. I wanted to get better. I wanted to share my message with the world. Do that with anybody who will listen to you. And on Zoom now, oh my gosh, it's so easy. Like ask some people if they will listen to you share for 10 minutes of your speech and just get some feedback and be open to it. You don't have to take it all. I don't take all the feedback from my partner at all. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not me. That's you. Like <laughs> that wouldn't work for me. So understanding when to play it, but also understanding other people's perspective. Like if this is the message you're trying to deliver and that's not the message they're getting, something needs to change and adjusting that in your quote unquote lesson plan before you deliver it to big audiences, especially before you deliver it to big audiences for a wage, ideally. Yeah. You don't want your rehearsals to be out there when you're getting paid, <laughs> which I've had a few of those when I first started. I feel sorry for them. It's kind of like your first year of teaching. You're just like, oh, sorry. But, um, you know, as you get experience, the better and better you get at it. Mm -hmm. And that process and breakdown you gave works for a, a cohort of a coaching plan. It works mm -hmm. for the same way of you're going to be in doing workshops with a group of teachers. That same mm -hmm. sort of breakdown you gave works the same way. So, so thank you for dropping those gems. Thank right. you. I, I appreciate that. So as you mentioned earlier, we are teaching a different type of student. And this is one of those things to where even when I work with our own teachers in my district, you know, I try to get them to understand, like, at some point, we have to re-examine what we're doing, right? You do not want to PDF your kids to death and give them worksheets because these are not the kids who grew up in a paper world. Like we currently, whether you know this or not, whether you have come to grips with it or not, we live in a digital world and your kids have just grown up in it. And because of the pandemic, most of us have now sort of been 
awakened to the fact that this is our life. And you know, teaching students that for most of us, their first experience with a connected, the internet connected device will be a smartphone, will be a tablet. Um, that means they have access to information, right? They have uh, access to creation tools. They have access to do interact with, 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 with materials and the environment differently than we had or, or differently than what normally people may think of this is what education is. How do you, when you're working with school districts um, and they're thinking about innovation, right? How are you able to sort of assist them to embrace the new reality of who their students are, where education should go, and this sort of changing evolution of the educational landscape? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And really after the pandemic, I feel like it's a lot easier, right? Because everybody's like, whoa, we all had to think in those realms of being, um, I like to call it developing that beginner's mindset again. Even if we thought we had it all figured out, we've been teaching this grade level for 20 years, we got this. I mean, during the pandemic, we all became a beginner real quick. And so no matter your profession, so even on the business side of things, you know, working for Dave Burgess Consulting with educational authors, which is what I get to do now, spend a lot of time coaching and mentoring educational authors, it's the same. There were a lot of things we had to think differently. We had to do things differently. And I think uh, now more than ever, it's easier to help people understand the one thing that remains constant is everything that's everything is changing everything's changing all the time. And so if you're not an innovator, you're already behind. And so if you are not challenging your learners, no matter that, who that is, adult or student learners, to think in these realms, like it's okay to be a beginner at things. In fact, we need to do things that challenge us and that make us frustrated and we don't know how to do it. We have to learn it while we are flying. We have to build the plane and fly it at the same time. We need to be in those circumstances. So when stuff like this hits, we're familiar with it. And so when I am challenging or ch talking to or encouraging educators out there, I'm using solid examples like that. As, as I'm working for an entrepreneur who started his business at a kitchen table, you know, I know firsthand some of the challenges and things that they've gone through to get that company to where it is today. And it is not unscathed from COVID, trust me. And so being able to speak from experiences, I think it's very helpful to help encourage people to adopt this idea of innovation, but more than that, to put their learners in a place often that they are having to learn through the messiness of the process. Because if we always give them a study guide and they know the right answer at the right time to say, that is not real life experience. That is not real. And it doesn't allow the human to come out behind the content. Back to what I was talking about earlier. It's not just learning like their heart and how they're feeling. It's also getting in there and helping them figure out their talents and their strengths 
by learning through the messiness of it. So we need to create these project-based learning, if you will, experiences. And it doesn't have to be a whole entire unit. I'm just talking challenger students to go out there. Here is the basic guideline. Now go create. You have these three tools that I've taught you. And I want you to create for me something that meets every one of these needs. And the best thing to me, Dr. Will, is when students can create something for a purpose. It's not just for a grade. It's for a service. It's going to help people. Like we noticed that this uh, community in our little tiny town needs this. So what can I do as students? What can my group do to help create something that's actually going to serve a purpose? That's when you get the people, the kids, the adults behind it. That's when innovation happens naturally because they're like, okay, we see what you need and we wanna to try to meet that need with whatever we create. That's the entrepreneur spirit, the entrepreneur mindset, but it also brings them back to, I don't know how to do this. I've got to go research all this stuff and build the plane and fly it and serve this purpose for these people. And if you can get, and typically when I use examples, I try to use examples like that. And that is when I think you get not only, it's not about buy-in, it's about quality learning experiences for the people that you're serving. And that's, that's typically the route that I will take when I'm trying to influence others to cannonball in and take a jump on, on something that's powerful learning that'll last for a long time, but it's also teaching kids uh, quality characteristics and uh, character traits that they're going to need for the rest of their life, no matter what job they go into. All right, so before we go, what is your advice to those educators who, because of this influx in technology, because of where some of us are talking about education should be going, and we're talking about innovation, and we're and they're seeing all of these things that are changing right before their eyes. Their school districts getting all this extra money, and they're looking up in their classroom. Their school looks nothing like it did before. Now they're starting to feel where do they fit in to this place? What is their role? as a teacher. Some of them are feeling unsure. Some of them are feeling this is not the school. This is not the teaching that they knew that they're comfortable with and they're starting to find other places to go or they're just retiring. What do you say to those teachers to get them to find their place, to define, redefine their role, for them to be that teacher that they want to be and define that comfort level so that not only they, are they comfortable, but they, they, they can actually grow? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I, I don't know exactly what I would say. I guess it depends on who you're talking to. But one of the things, my best advice would be to find out what and find out who you want to serve, right? And then find out how you're going to help meet that need. And if you feel like the place that you're in and the restrictions that are placed upon you, be it um, the influx of technology or the uncomfortableness of everything and you just can't make it work and you're not finding joy in what you do again uh, right now, I would say 
try to figure out how to reinvigorate that joy. Because if we don't love what we do, then it shows. And the, and being in the profession that we're in, we're inspiring a lot of kids. Like Mrs. S, taking it all the way back to my first story. If Mrs. S didn't love what she did, I would have felt it. I felt a lot of teachers that didn't love what they do. And I don't remember things that they taught me. And they're not the people that I come up with when I'm thinking of people that have inspired me and who I want to be like, right? So I'm not saying you have to be that all the time because we're human. We're not gonna always love everything that we do. It's just, it's just a part of it. But if it's more than not that you are not enjoying your work, if that is taking up the majority of what you do, um, you need to figure out what is it that will bring you that joy. Do you need to add different things back into your world on the personal side of things to fill your bucket a little bit while we're in this uncomfortable place until you can get to that place where you do enjoy what you do again? Or is it a whole nother feel? Is it a whole nother direction? And if it is, um, be, be okay with taking a jump, you know, taking a leap and trying something new. And because the people that you serve notice, and if you really aren't in it to win it, and you're not really reaching the students or the adults that are learning underneath you or from you, then um, you do need to find something that will help you to feel that purpose. You need to fulfill your purpose. And the sooner we can figure that out in life, the better everyone gets to feel and be. Um, that would be my advice. I don't know if that's, that's pretty vague, but I feel like I couldn't really tell teachers it's not gonna be comfortable right now. I mean, like you should feel comfortable because this is the real world. Um, it's uncomfortable and it's really hard right now, but I will say, I think we'll come out of it and I'm not in the classroom, so I don't get to speak firsthand, but I think teachers and educators and students are learning a lot about communication. They're learning a lot about uh, empathy and they're learning a lot about being flexible. And those are all things that can carry and tra and transfer to any different role out there in this world. So that would be my advice, just to figure out what it is that will help you to better serve your purpose. If you're in a low time right now, that's very understandable. So maybe you need to put some things in place that fills your bucket on the personal end of things so you can deal with work now. But if this continues for years and years, I would say you might need to reconsider your, um, your field of choice and find your purpose. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Tara, for coming on the show. Thank you. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and share. Yes, I do like seeing the stars, but can a brother get some reviews and some comments because I'm trying to be found. And I'm also trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Sarah Martin, for coming on and drop, Tara Martin, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, ADU, peace.